0: Well, this morning we have uh, quite a treat. Uh, we have uh, Mr. Edward Amaya who's going to share with us from Far Reaching Ministries uh, some of the things that the Lord is, is doing in with that ministry and, and as well uh, in his life. So uh, let's make uh, Edward feel welcome. Edward, come on up, bro. Well, Good
1: morning. Good morning. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, I stand in front of these, your children, and I'm absolutely amazed, God, that you would use me. And Lord, my desire, because I played so many years of trying to put on this air of plastic fantastic and not being real and trying to please people. And Father, I thank you that you broke me and you loved me and you pursued me. And I pray this morning, Father, that I would come across real. Father, I know that in here there are people that don't know you yet, and I am fully aware that when I was in that state, nothing could be said to me to help me understand except for your Spirit. And Father, I pray that you'd move through this room, uh, both people who don't know you and trying to seek you out, as well as people who know you but are walking a little bit blind or callous, and people who know you and walking crazy with you. I just pray your Spirit would really pour into their lives. And Father, I ask in the name of Jesus, somehow, especially in a community of such good people, hard-working people, salt of the earth, they're not afraid to work hard, they care about each other, God, that this morning we'd realize that there is really a spiritual side to all this. There is a big spiritual side. Things that we don't see, it's not just the physical we see, God, it's the spirit. And Lord, I realize that the words that I'm about to say, I'm up here with the audacity to think that I can speak in the name of the Lord. And so I humble before you. And as you want me to go right or you want me to go left, I would, because it's you who can bring change. It's you who can bring encouragement. It's you who can reach into broken hearts and broken lives and do things. I can't. And Father, I've found out over time that if I motivate somebody, that motivation goes away. But when you change people, when you radically touch people, they're changed. And God, that's what I'm asking this morning. I realize that With the few years that I have left before you, that anything that I want to present, I want it to be fruit, God. And not just fruit that I think is there, but fruit that is really evident in this world. Things that will be stored up in heaven. So I give all this to you, God, in your Son's holy and precious and beautiful name. Amen. This morning I'm going to teach out of Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 24. And as you're getting there, uh, I'm going to kind of share with you a little bit about my personality. I became a a believer in 19... 84, I was two years old. I guess I'm not a just okay. So we'll move on. In 1984, I was actually 19 years old, and I went to a church. I was very fortunate. I went to a church called Horizon, which is part of the Calvary Chapel in San Diego. And the Lord put me under two really great teachers, uh, a, a gentleman named Mike McIntosh that some of you have heard of, and then at first actually a pastor named Ray Bentley. And then I was actually mentored by an uncle of mine who's very much like me. He's very analytical. That's how I am. I like to attack things analytically. And so when I started reading the Bible, I was taught that don't just look at little verses. You want to go from the beginning to the very end. And when you're looking at a verse, go a few verses before and a few verses after so that you can get the entire counsel of God. And in my life, I've been very fortunate to sit under people who have done what they call topical messages, and I've learned a lot from that. But the greatest thing that I've ever gotten is really understanding the depth of the Word of God and breaking it down into the Greek and the Hebrew. When I get stuck in a word, I I just go back and I do that, and I have a study Bible, and it's all marked up. And today I brought a teaching Bible. It's not real marked up. And the reason I'm telling you that is because that's how I like to teach, too. I like to bring entire chapters and read through them and dig through them. And as I was preparing this message a little while ago, uh, what the Lord put on my heart was something completely different, so contrary to who I am. And what he was telling me is, he goes, Edward, especially in the Calvary movements, and even here you have CSN down the street, and you have a pastor who I had a chance to spend some time with, and the Lord's put on my heart to share something towards the end of my message that uh, hopefully I'll remember to do that. But you have a a pastor that I know who's bringing it. And we live in America where we can go to Christian bookstores and even secular bookstores and we can get books on the Bible and books from all these Christian authors. And I even have Bible applications on my phone now. I mean, we have it all over. We can go anywhere. I can go online and listen to a message 24 hours a day. And what the Lord really convicted my heart of is it's, you know, Edward, it's not that we need more teaching in America. And teaching is important. But we need to start applying the things we already know. And so as I come this morning, this is so contrary to who I am. I only have a couple verses that I'm going to read, and and I'm going to kind of tie it in. And my heart is, is that the Holy Spirit would work in people's lives. And I don't care where you are in the spectrum. If you're here and you don't know, if you were drugged by your parents, Or you are so crazy in love with the Lord that there's two parts of you want to fall before him as if you're dead. And the other part, your heart wants to jump out of your chest and tell people that he's really true. Wake up, wake up. I don't care where you are in this. I just pray that the Holy Spirit would wrestle through every one of you today. So as I read Matthew chapter 16, verse 19 through 24, and I'm reading now the ESV version. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth this thing that you think is Christianity or religion, if this light in you is darkness, how great is this darkness? How great is that darkness? How great is that self-deception? No one can serve two masters. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money and you can't serve God in having your way, and you can't serve God in your agenda, and you can't serve God in your stuff, and you can't serve God in anything else. You cannot, and hear me on this one, for those who are just seeking Him, you cannot fully grasp on to the grandeur of this God that we have when your arms are full. We cannot look to the left, and we cannot look to the right simultaneously and be able to see things equally. We really got to be able to focus, and I pray that the Lord would really wrestle with some of you. In fact, my heart is today, because I've been there, and when you hear, I'm not going to get into my testimony today. The men had a chance yesterday. But you're going to hear some little tidbits in there. And I wish I would have really understood that, that I cannot put my roots so deep down in here and have the fullness of God in my life. My heart is to be real and raw today, no pretense. I'm standing up here as a pastor. I'm standing up here as a missionary representing far-reaching ministries. But I really wish that I, uh, I, uh, that I had a chance to actually know you longer and we were at one of the restaurants and just sitting down and talking. And that's how I want to come across today. Because I think that we have a lot of great teachers, and I love some of the way that they do things. But I'm coming as a guy who sat out there for about 30 years. And that the Lord, in his graciousness, that's all I can tell you, is in his graciousness, has me up here today. So I hope that comes across very sincere. To do that, though, I want to start with where, uh, who I'm with and why I'm here. As the pastor introduced me, I'm with a ministry called Far Reaching Ministries. The Lord has placed us in some of the most extreme places on the planet. We're actually in 10 different countries, and that includes Africa, Iraq, Russia, China, and several other places. We are the recognized training arm for the South Sudanese Army Chaplaincy Training Program, and that just went in one ear and out the other, and you'll find out a little bit more about that in a moment. We have been hands-on involved in two of the longest-running civil wars, one in northern Uganda and one in southern Sudan. Uh, the Lord, in His graciousness, He is. We have grown now that we have over 400 people deployed across the mission field, and we have six Bible colleges, several orphanages, uh, several church plants, including one recently in Iraq. And please be praying for that because the spiritual stuff going on there is pretty incredible. The original pastor uh, and his wife who went over there walked away from teaching at a Calvary and had to come back almost immediately because uh, he came down, and now he's on the life of dialysis, and she has cancer. And her his son took over; he's doing a great job. So be, please be praying for that. Uh, We don't really understand in America the freedom that we have here to be assembled together. But when you go into some of these other parts of the world, you realize that that freedom we take for granted over here. But here's what makes us unique. In the last 12 years, we have had 12 team members die in the service of the Lord. And most of you will never meet another Christian that has given up their life before the sake of the gospel. And we've actually had 12. 12. And with the war heating up in Sudan, we fully expect that we're going to lose many more, including we're probably going to lose a couple of our team members. And for some of you, uh, I know the Lord will put on your heart to be praying for us because we really need it. Our main passion, though, is Sudan. And it's in the eastern part of Africa. If you look on a map, it used to be the largest portion of Africa, and then it has recently split apart. But Sudan gained its independence from Britain in 1956, and most years then since it has been devastated by a civil war. It is the most violent civil war in modern history. In fact, uh, in fact, the people who are writing about it right now says that it equals to the atrocities against civilians that World War II did. And this has been predominantly an Islamic Arab North thing and a Christian am- am- Amnesty African South conflict. So I'm going to go into some really heavy details, and I see some young people here, so I want to put in just some thoughts here. First of all, I've raised three children. We homeschooled them, and I was a very protective dad. I wanted to make sure that they were protected, and I'm going to talk about some things today that are not risque at all, but it's the harsh reality of what's going on in the world, and if you want to be sensitive to the children and you get up and walk out, I'll completely understand that because we're going to talk about some stuff, and I'm going to keep it as clean as possible, but when you're, when you're dealing with the things that the Lord has thrown us into for the last 16 years, sometimes there's just nothing easy. You cannot find a clean word or an easy word for it so I want to give you that and the other preface that I want to make too is about what I'm going to talk about is this is not a message about hate the Bible is very clear that we are supposed to love the Lord our God with all of our heart all of our soul all of our mind and all of our strength and as believers even if on some of the non-essentials we disagree but on the essentials we do if the Lord is really our Savior the Bible says that the way that we love each other is going to be a witness to those who are not that don't know him and so we're supposed to love one another, and the Bible goes on to say that we're supposed to love our neighbors, and gives a great parallel, uh, parable of the Samaritan about who our neighbor is. It's not just our next-door neighbor and our friends. It's people that we just come into contact with. But it goes on to say that we're to love our enemies. And I can tell you that uh, as I talk about Islam, a lot of people get really worked up, and I want you to be praying for them. Because for those of you who have a history like mine, you know that we have the capacity to do some bad things, and when you are put into a religion, and that religion tells you the only way to be right, made right with God is if you go out and kill people, especially infidels in the name of God, that's the only guarantee that you're going to have. People can do some crazy things. And the good news today is that hundreds of thousands of Muslims, if not into the millions, are coming to the Lord, and we really need prayer. But I'm also not up here today to back down. See, so what happens is in the church, we have, we have this thing called politically correct gone amok. And we we have an enemy out there, 6,000 years, he is so good at his craft. And what he has done in the last 20 years, I've really seen in the church, is that we have all these isms out there. Well, you don't want to be this kind of way, you don't want to be that way. And the church has taken the truth, almost like if we take medicine and we keep watering it down, somebody has cancer and we get this medicine and we want want it to be a little easier on their stomach. And so we add water and we add water and we add water and we add water and give it to that person. There may be some medicine in there, but it is so watered down, it's not going to be effective. And that's the same thing with the truth believers, is that even if people call us crazies and isms and they want to uh, align us with all these things, if we have the truth and if we back down, what good is it? And that's what I want to talk about this morning, because it's only the truth that can set people free, period. Even if I become the most unpopular person in the world, as long as I can take it to scripture in a spirit of love, true love, self-sacrificing love, truth is what's going to help people. In this time of uh, the North, the Islamic North coming down and literally killing the the South, uh, Sudan, South Sudan now, was also terrorized for many years by a very vicious uh, guerrilla violent group called the LRA. Some of you have seen that most recently in a video, and I'm not here to talk about that video at all. If you have questions later, I can answer it. But the merciless, inhumane atrocities that were committed against the innocent, defenseless are mind-boggling. During the last, uh, the second c- uh, civil war of the last 20 years, which we've been involved in it for 16 years, 2 million people in southern Sudan were killed. And I wish it were just army people, but it wasn't, because this was something that was ethnic cleansing. It was designed to go in and kill people based on the color of their skin and also their religious affiliation. And if we were a village in Sudan, and this would have been a big village, villages aren't this big, but if we were a village in Sudan, and we all lived in our little mud huts, and the enemies came up from either the north or the south, their goal would be to wipe every one of us out, period, scorched earth type of technique. And that's just the way that it happened, and that's what we are involved in. They would take men and they would torture them. The stories are just, they're out there all over the internet. You can read some of this one. I was raised by a single mom, and I saw some of the worst of humanity that happened to her. And what they did to the women over there is nothing, nothing less than earth-shattering, and it still causes the hair on the back of my neck to stand up. Even before being a Christian, because I saw things happen to my mom, I've always been very chivalrous. I was a wild party boy from Southern California, but I was always honorable and respectful towards ladies and open doors and do that. Unless I was dating you, that was a different story. I wasn't a Christian. <laughs> oh. <laughs> But what they did to these uh, ladies is, is literally earth shattering. And this is where it's going to get a little bit heavy, so if you want to, parents, one last pre-warning uh, for you. They would take women and as a weapon of warfare. They would, they would gang rape them. But they wouldn't just do that. They would do that in front of the entire villages, and then they would do that in front of their husbands and in front of their children. And as a man, I cannot imagine not being able to protect my wife or being able to protect my children. And a lot of these soldiers, especially that came up from the LRA, they were boys. They were 13, 14, 15, and 16. And they would do this so that they could, they could literally, it was a weapon of warfare, and they would create paralyzing fear from village to village of what these people would be able to do. And if that weren't enough, that's enough in itself. They would take these ladies, and uh, if they were pregnant or if they were nursing, they would cut off their breasts so that they would not be able to feed their own children. And if that weren't enough... Just to make them absolutely hideous, they would, take, they would cut off their lips and cut off their nose and cut off their ears and just leave them like that. And that's where the Lord put us in. And I wasn't part of the ministry back then, but we still have video of this. Unfortunately, the last five years, a lot of this has died down and has been replaced by some other crazy stuff that I'm about to get into. But I can tell you that even when you watch the videos of this, we have this thing that you, you've all seen. it. You're talking to somebody, they have like a thousand foot stair. This is like a thousand mile stair. You're dealing with these ladies, and they have bandages on their nose and their ears, and they have been they have been sexually assaulted many times. And you're trying to just just reach into their life, not even with the scripture, but you're just trying to talk to them. And I can tell you, they're no longer there. They're in their mind. They're so out of there. Like, how do I cope with life anymore? They have just vacated from that, and that's what God has put us into. And over the last few years, as a lot of those violences that violence has subsided, we are now in the part of trying to rebuild lives and stabilize and do all of those type of things. They would take uh, young girls at the age of nine and abduct them from their families and turn them into sexual slaves and prostitutes and impregnate them to make future soldiers. And they would take boys as uh, young as nine and even younger and put guns in their hands and cause them to go out and kill. In fact, they would even take young children, and this is hard because I've raised three children, they would take young children and force them to actually kill their own parents. And when you're talking to a young child and they're like, but how can this God you're telling me about forgive me when I've had to do that? And we know that the enemy would take them and say, if you don't do it, we're going to kill your sister and your brother. We're going to kill your mom and then we're going to kill you. And they would force these children to do that. And that's where the Lord placed us inside of to be able to minister to these people. In one village alone, 58 children's heads were crushed that we serve, in one village that we serve. 58 children's heads were crushed against trees just because that's what they do. Entire villages were burned to the ground. people were burned alive. Crops were destroyed. And since we live in a community that understands that, without crops, you can't eat. Crops were destroyed. starvation, uh, fear was rampant. In 2005, the North and the South, they signed a comprehensive peace agreement so that they would quit fighting. And in 2011, July of 2011, Southern Sudanese, some of you saw this on the news, they voted to overwhelmingly to succeed from the North and they became the newest nation in our world. And it's called the Republic of Southern Sudan. Regrettably, though, the North continues its campaign, continued its campaign against Darfur. And some of you have heard that word and you can do some internet searches. And most recently, they have, they have really re escalated their war efforts along the border area between the North and the South and the Nuba Mountains. And I really need your prayer on this because there's some crazy stuff going on. And you'll understand we have, uh, well, actually, we have 70 of our, our guys up there right now in a pretty bad war zone. But in the Nuba Mountains, the U.N. is estimating that in the next couple of weeks that up to 300,000 people can die from starvation because what the North has been doing, Nuba Mountains, they don't have the infrastructure like we do here. To get up in the Nuba Mountains, we have 70 chaplains. We have to give them camels just to be able to get into the Nuba Mountains and do what they need to do. And again, I'll explain the chaplains later on. Very difficult terrain. It's not even considered a third world country. It's below that, so there's no infrastructure. And uh, because of the North has been cutting off food supplies and bombing villages and scorch-earthing their crops and all that stuff, they're now at the point that starvation is a real, real danger. And some of you saw that uh, even George Clooney got involved recently and was arrested for that. So we need to be praying. But they have been bombing villages, again, destroying crops. They've been sending in cluster bombs. This is a complete scorched-earth policy. And there's satellite images now that they're actually even amassing more tanks and helicopter gunships and extending another runway in the north so that they can bring in more bombs into that area. We have 70 guys up there. Not all our chaplains are from that area, but many of them who grew up in the south and saw nothing but devastation when the Lord got their heart, they have volunteered to go to the Nuba Mountains because they realize that many of these people are in the last days of their life. And if they can go and reach them for the gospel of Christ Jesus, they just want to do that because they were given the grace by God to, to know him as a personal Lord and Savior. One of our chaplains, Enoch, just recently, a, uh, he's from up there, and a village was hit. And 11 of his family members were killed, including his wife and his mother. And the pain etched in his face is obvious. But he continues to go forward because he realizes that it is only the grace, the saving grace of Christ Jesus that anybody has hope in, especially what's going on up there. And this is purely an ethnical cleansing type thing. And so I really would ask that you guys would pray. Also, Blue Nile and OBA. it's an emergency situation. Hundreds of thousands are fleeing. They're being scorched earth, too. Darfur continues to be a hotbed for genocide. And over the last few months, clashes between northern Sudan and the southern Sudan have really escalated. In fact, uh, the president just recently, last week, he stated this, quote-unquote, that the recent fighting between the north and the south has revived the spirit of jihad in the north. And the North began bombing inside of Southern Sudan. And this is just happening as of last week. On Thursday, right before I got here, uh, on Thursday, April 19th, the government of North Sudan declared war on Southern Sudan. And we have over 300 people on the ground over there. And I'm about to head back over there in June. And we have about 50 pastors that are going to be going over there to teach the next class of chaplains, uh, 50 Calvary pastors. And we've been in the, the last campaign. Our compound got bombed many times. We, again, lost many people. So we really need your prayers. You know, when you're in a war-torn country that is just so crazy upside down, it changes your perspective. And the UN is not somebody that I'm in favor of when it comes to their policies towards Christianity and even towards Israel. But you can look at God and you can become thankful that he can even use non-Christian organizations to do things. In fact, if it weren't for the UN and for the Red Cross, probably a couple million more people in southern Sudan would have died of starvation if they hadn't been bringing in food, and you become thankful. They've even had their own people killed, and yet they won't change their policy and call things what they really are, but that's okay. But here's where I want to shift gears, buddy. I just wanted to give you an, an insight of what God has put us through, some of the craziness. But I want to shift gears here. It's us. It's the body of Christ. Those who confess Christ Jesus as Lord. When we go expecting nothing in return and show relentless love and compassion for those who are in need when we go day after day and month after month and year after year, when we go for no other reason than the grace that God has shown us in our life and we wake up to it and understand it, when we go realizing that we don't want anything in return, the Bible talks about one of the greatest things we can do is when we give water to a child because there's nothing they can do to give back to us. And that's the that's when we are most like Christ Jesus because when we were dead, there was no way to fix this. God sent his son that he could die for us so we could be made right with him. It is a big deal. And in this body, I have had the privilege, and I am not just saying that. You can go online and listen to all my messages. I've had the greatest privilege of meeting some of the neatest people, some of the men I've spoken with, and your pastor, and I'm going to talk about him in a little bit, and he doesn't know I'm going to do this. I'm not even going to look for him in the room because he'll probably get embarrassed. Oh, there he is. I found him. <laughs> but the fact is, is that in this body right here today, there are people who are hurting. There are people whose lives have been devastated. There's people in here whose husbands have not kept their vows. There's children who have gone astray and they're heading for a cliff and the parents' hearts are broken. And there's people in here who have gone through some bad accidents. And some of you are about to hear about issues that you're going to have with your health that are going to shake your world. And when we get out of our seats, when we quit just thinking about our own little world and our only plot of land and we start acting like Christ Jesus and get out of those seats and start loving on people in this body, when we start loving on them with the relentless compassion of Christ Jesus day after day and month after month, and when we show up six months later and a year later just to check on them for no other reason, for no benefit in us, because we want to be like Christ Jesus, is when we impact the world. And I was at lunch with your pastor yesterday just down on the corner, and I couldn't help but see, and there were all these signs for churches in a community of about four or 5,000 people. Hear my heart on this. You do not need another church in Buell. <laughs> and what we, need in, what we need in Buell is a church where the Holy Spirit is so radically transforming broken lives that people come rushing in here because it is a hospital that they know that God's doing things. But if we come in here and we just do program like everybody else and we look at everything else, if we're not stripping this down and saying, God, what do you want to do? What fresh thing do you want to do? We become like every other church. And if you can see the passion in my face, trust me, at the worst, most broken time of my life, I did not need to go show up in another church. I needed to go where people were crazy in love with God, sold out to them. They were getting it. They were understanding that there was a spiritual, physical war going on and that they cared enough about it. The South Sudanese Army, these are some extremely brave men. We're going to watch a DVD in about 30 seconds. I'd like to introduce you to them. But these are some extremely brave men, some of the bravest men that you're ever going to meet. Most of them have been warriors all their life, starting from nine years old. But what they have learned is that if you're losing a battle, you retreat to fight another day. In one battle, the SPLA, which is the Southern Army, uh, they were losing, and so they did what they typically do, they retreated. But when our team arrived, what we found was so horrific that it changed the way in which we talked to men, the way that we raised these chaplains up, the way we disciple, the way we look in the mirror and face ourselves. The SPLA left, the rebels came in, they built a bonfire, and they threw all the toddlers in alive, and we walked into a heap of smoldering children. Men, hear me on this. There are consequences when we run from the battle. When we run from the battle in our families, when we disconnect, there are consequences. When we run from the battle in the church, the spiritual battle going on, when we're just sitting here filling up a pew, there are consequences. I'd like for you to watch a DVD so you could understand the heart of our ministry, and I'll come back up.
0: truly do follow. We don't understand sometimes that when one man stands, it inspires others. You cannot lead from the rear, you must lead from the front, you must hold the line. You do not compromise, you do not fear the enemy. See, the Lord said that he has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of strength and of a sound mind. We as men were made for battle, we were created for battle. We are soldiers in the army of God. And we have one purpose, and that is to take the gospel to all of Sudan and all of Africa. And as far as the Lord will permit us to take the gospel to the world, that is our aim, our goal, and our one desire in life. we train our guys, we train them hard. They don't have an easy life over there. We get them up at five o'clock in the morning, we run them for eight miles, we have eight hours of class time, two and a half hours of study time, and they get two meals a day of beans and rice. They get meat about once every two weeks, and they get vegetables occasionally. We don't do it because we can't feed them, better we could, but we know that if we train them softly, when they get to the front lines, they will not survive. Men were never supposed to run from battle. We were supposed to stand and we were supposed to fight. And one of the things that we tell these ladies in Africa, because they were used to the men running, and I talked to them about this on my last trip. I said, Ladies, I said, if the enemy comes, we will stand, we will fight, and we will die. But we will not surrender you to the wicked.
2: Your will home.
1: You
0: know, when God first called us to Africa I never dreamed that I would do anything other than pastor, evangelize, and teach the Word of God. But when the rebels began to come and to kill women and children, I realized that we needed to do something to protect them. And I sat to our guys down one day and I said, guys, I want you to understand something here. I go, it is not your job to save your life. It is your job to save their lives. We are men. They are women and children. If the enemy comes, not one of you guys is to pull off that line until we have evacuated every single woman and child. If you die, then you die. That is the role of a man. We are called to be protectors of women and children. We are called to care for those that cannot care for themselves. We know the tactic of the enemy. He comes with 200. He does not attack 200 soldiers. He attacks where there's five soldiers. They're cowards. They want to hit soft targets. They don't want to hit hard targets. So if one day there's five of us, and they come with 200, just know this is the day that you're going to go home to meet the Lord. And see, we need to understand something. There is a code that men should live by. You know, in the times of past, we used to call it the Knight's Code. It was a code that men lived by. And folks, I want to read to you what was the Knight's Code. The Knight's Code to serve the Lord in valor and faith. To protect the weak and the defenseless. To give refuge to the widows and orphans. To refrain from the giving of offense. To live by honor and for the glory of God. To obey those placed in authority. To guard the honor of your fellow Knights. To keep faith at all times to speak the truth. To respect the honor of women, never to refuse a challenge from an equal, and never to turn back from a foe.
1: first incredible thing that I want you to realize, for those who uh, confess Christ Jesus as your Lord, is that those guys up there are your brothers, that's your family. And I am very thankful that I am born in America, I am very thankful because I'm standing up here today and I am not worried today about somebody running in and stopping me from speaking what I'm speaking. And a lot of places don't have that. But what is the Lord has shown me through some very tough trials, tough trials in my life, is that the earth is not my home. America is not my home. Heaven is. And if I stick my roots so deep in here, when, when the fires of life that affect all of us hit us, it causes me to doubt my faith, to doubt God, to act out foolishly when my roots are so in. And in my life, I had to do that to understand that heaven is my home and I'm just passing through. I love the people of Sudan, those men, those women, and those children, and I'm willing to die for them if that's what the Lord wants. Sudan's not my home. Heaven is. The way that you live your life, it really does matter. For those of you who confess Christ Jesus, the way that you live your life really matters. And men, I'm up here and some of you had a chance to hear my testimony and you'll understand why I'm talking to you this way. I just wish somebody would have spoken to my life so many years ago and maybe they were and I couldn't hear or anything like that. I get that. I understand that. But I just want to talk to you for a moment. The way, and especially, and some of you single guys in here, just kind of fill in the blanks in some of your stuff. But I'm going to talk to you married men for a little bit. The way that you live your life and your families, it really does matter. It's that important. The way that you talk to your wife in front of your kids, it really does matter. We raise our children and we say, treat your mother with respect. Make sure you respect your teachers. Don't lie, especially to me. Don't steal, especially to me. And then they see the way that we talk to our wives. They see how we talk about our boss. They see how we talk about the president of our United States. They see how we're not unforg- or how unforgiving we are when we have been slightly offended. They see those times when we don't think we, they do when we're looking at that person who's not our wife a little bit longer than we should. More is going to be caught from your life by the way that you live your life than will ever be taught by the words that come out of your mouth. Ladies, the way you live your life matters too. See, this is an individual thing. We're called the body of Christ, but this is an individual thing. And if your husband doesn't show up, if he's not leading the way he is, the Bible tells you to do the things that you're supposed to do. The Bible says by your righteousness, individually by your righteousness, that you can bless your family, but you may be able to also win him over. The way you live your life, body of Christ, it really matters. The world does not want to see this powerless church. They don't want to be preached at by people where they hear these words coming out and see the incongruency of their life. I don't want to see it and you don't want to see it. In fact, I wish I had a big mirror up here as a reminder as I'm saying these things that in my life, Lord God, help me not to be a hypocrite anymore because if I'm up here teaching it, I've got to make sure I'm living this out. The Bible says not many of you should desire to be teachers because we're held to a higher judgment, not a higher standard, a higher judgment, and that should, that should scare us. That should, ask, that should cause me to ask you to pray for me and, and fast for your pastor and do all those things. Because the judgment we're going to be under if we're talking this stuff is pretty severe. And there's people out there that are abusing the word of God for personal gain. I do not want to be in their shoes when they stand before the living God. But as for me, I want to be real. See, Christianity was never meant to be a spectator sport. We were not just to stand on the side or sit on the sidelines and clap and boo and, and scream and boo the yump and do all those type of things. And then when our team wins, run out onto the field and expect to get the ring. And that's the same thing. When we're parked right here as believers, when we stand before the Lord, we cannot honestly expect to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. We all want to see God do big things, all of us. Whether you don't know Christ Jesus, you're not sure about all this stuff, if you could just see some big, powerful, magic thing, it would help persuade you. Even to those who have been walking with the Lord for a long time, you would like to see God do something. As you read through Acts and you read through uh, the epistles, all the stuff that's going on, it's like, Lord, why isn't it happening today? And here's my challenge with you, what the Lord really put on my heart, is because we have to start being faithful first, right where we are. And if God has called you to be a husband, you need to be faithful as a husband. And if God has called you to be a a mother or a school teacher, you need to be faithful. The great thing about it is that everybody in here that has blown it as badly as me and why I don't deserve to be up here, it's all about the graciousness of God. And I'm standing up here as living proof before several hundred of my, my, my brothers and sisters to be able to share with you that what God can do once he breaks you and we confess that sin and we cast those things behind us and we lean into it, God can do things I don't care about your past. In fact, I heard a gentleman's past yesterday that brought tears to my eyes because of the graciousness of God. And his wife is a saint to me because of the graciousness of God. And that's the stories you can have in your, I don't care how messed messed up you are, is you have a God who can fix that. And that's what this church needs to represent in my heart. You know, if you hired me and I came in and I was just hired to sweep the floor. And that's all you hired me for. And the first week, all I did was flirt with the girls and put you down and put down the customers and complain and whine and take three-hour breaks and do all that. And then I walked up to you the next week and I said, you know, I think I'm ready to be a manager. You would all laugh. And that's what we have to understand is that God will do great things in your life, but he wants you to be faithful where you are. And I do a lot of counseling, and I could tell you probably 99% of the time that I hear this, I know God wants me to do something else. And as I drill down a little bit, I find out that they're not being faithful in the smallest thing. What they're thinking is that if I could get put here, it'll radically transform my life. And I'm telling you, it doesn't radically transform your life. Because God's not going to entrust you with more when you can't even take the trash out simply. Hear my heart on that, please. I'd like to radically introduce you to a couple of men whose lives have been radically altered because of a man's obedience. And I wish I could tell—I wish I could tell you that it was my obedience and it wasn't. But my friend Wes, who you saw up there, was my first roommate as a uh, Christian when I, in 1984. And uh, I ended up going towards the way of business. Many of the guys know my story in here, and he stayed faithful to the Lord, and the Lord took him through 14 years of some of the most incredible. Pain that a man can go through, so that he would take no credit for what God is doing by raising up an American ministry, putting us into a foreign land. And then we are now the recognized training arm for the Sudanese army. It would be like somebody from Australia or China coming over here and training the chaplains for the U.S. Marines. It is just that crazy, out of sorts, supernatural big. But God had to take West through a lot. And because of that faithfulness, he was serving in Russia. And the Lord told him to go to Sudan because the crisis was bad. And he said, Lord, I don't want to go. Yes, sir, I'll go. And he went. And when he went there, he walked through fields of dead people, and he was dealing with people that were dying 13 a day in one village village alone because of starvation. And when he got out of there, he got back to the United States completely spent and said, God, I never want to go back there again, but I will go. And because of his faithfulness, there are men, hundreds of thousands of people, who are serving Christ Jesus because he said, okay, Lord, I will go. And he realized in his brokenness that anything that would turn out was because of God. One gentleman, Peter, you're going to see him in another DVD. I have a six-minute DVD that is really encouraging. I'll explain that in a moment. Peter is in there, and uh, Peter's a legend. Peter takes his faith simply. This is a guy that I want to grow up and be like. The Bible says, uh, when Peter became a Christian, he was reading through it, and the Bible says that if any of you desire to come after me, you should pick up your cross and follow me. If you don't pick up your cross, you're not worthy to be to my disciple. So Peter went out and made a little cross, and he carries it around. Just simple faith, that's what it says, it's what we do. And many of the chaplains do that now. But what makes Peter a legend is that he gave up his weapons as a non-combat, uh, as a, now he's a non-combat pastor, if you will, a chaplain in the South Sudanese army. But he's been embedded in some of the heaviest conflict areas where the fighting has been the most intense. And even though, and I'm going to tell you a story, the only thing that's really happened to him is he's been hit by some chemicals. I mean, that's, I'm not trying to downplay that. But he, uh, there was an RPG that went off and ripped out a little bit of his face. And you'll hear him cough. And you're going to hear his faith in this next DVD when he talks about bullets. That's Peter. But here's the cool thing about Peter is he just trusts God. And when his, group is lo- when his army unit is losing, when they're being taken badly by the, the enemy, he'll walk out on the field with his cross up and just start singing worship songs to the Lord. And the bullets are whizzing past him and he never has been hit thus far. And it so encourages his men that they stand up and they start fighting harder. And almost every single time it has turned, turned, the, turned the, that particular skirmish around and they've had victory. But the guy I really want you to meet is Abdurman Coffey. He's also going to be at the very end of this uh, DVD. He's speaking Arabic. And Abdaman Coffee, and I can tell you this, he's a personal friend of mine, is madly in love with you. With the church in America, because it was you who got out of your pew and somebody went over there, a missionary, and was able to go to his village and share his faith. And Abdaman was raised uh, a very strict Muslim. And for some reason, he had a chance to go and hear this story uh, from this American missionary. And the American missionary told the story of John the Baptist. We all take it for granted, but to him it was life-shattering. Because in the story, it talks about John the Baptist had the strength to stand up to a king and say, King, you can't have your brother's wife to the point that it actually cost him his own head. This so bothered Abdamon that he couldn't actually go to mosque for six months. He couldn't pray. He couldn't give alms. He couldn't do anything. And the Lord used that to bring him into a relationship with Christ Jesus. And I wish that the story ended there and everything was happy ever after. Immediately, he was rejected by his family and he had to live on the streets for two years. The streets in Sudan, which is not even considered a third world country. He's been beaten multiple times for his faith. He's been in prison multiple times for his faith. One time he was locked in a 40-foot metal container in Sudan in the hot sun, and and it was so hot in there with a bunch of Muslim prisoners. It was so hot in there that they were sweating. It was going out the bottom of this metal container uh, like a river. And the Lord gave him a vision because that's what God does when you're in a place where you're desperate for him. He shared it with these Muslim prisoners. They laughed at it, It came true, and many of them gave their heart to the Lord. has had his his own pastor killed because of his faith in, his, in the Lord. He's had many of his friends uh, hunted down and killed. He has been hunted down himself. He's been ambushed by jihadists. He has holes in one of his sets of clothes and no holes in him. One day he was in a village and somebody came up and stuck a gun to his head and said, today you will see, meaning that Allah is true and God is not. Somebody else pulled out a gun, killed that guy. The city exploded, a bunch of jihadists there, and he walked away without anything. But this is why I love Abdemon. He says, even though my enemies hate me, I love them, and I am determined to continue to reach them with God's love. And here's my confession. Many times I've driven down San Diego and Atlanta freeways in the fast lane angry at the person in front of me because they have the audacity to obey the law and go the speed limit. (laughs) And that is the challenge that I have for the body of Christ is sometimes we're kind of missing the mark a little bit. And I wish I had time to tell you about many other men like James and Lino and Tobias and Michael and Mubarak and David and Moses and Paul and James. And I think you're getting the the sense here. But the neat thing about this, this is the incredible thing. This goes back to the verse earlier, is that countless Sudanese are now the fruit of a man's obedience. These countless Sudanese are the eternal rewards for a man. The stock market can go down. Your business can crash. Your health can go away. Everything can be taken away from you. But the things that we store up in heaven cannot be taken away from you, period. And I think that in this last downfall economy, many people besides many of my friends and myself, we've tasted what can happen. We have no control. And even with our health. These are priceless eternal jewels stored up in heaven for eternity. They can't be plucked away. And I can't make you understand that. I just know that it makes my heart scream out, God, use me, even what I'm doing right here. I don't want to be here for no other reason. I didn't come from Southern California just so that you guys could see a guy wearing a black shirt and, you know, my cool haircut that my daughter has me do. That's not why I'm here. I'm here because I want to honor Christ Jesus because I have wasted so many years. And if he will allow me to pour into somebody's life and just one or two or ten of you will understand that and he'll penetrate your heart and you go out and produce fruit, then I can give glory to God for eternity and he takes account for that stuff. That's why I'm here. That's why I jumped on an airplane and I'm staying in a hotel and driving back and forth, jumping on another one to go back because I pray that God will use me just with one or ten of you today. None of us who confessed Christ Jesus, would be here today if it wasn't for somebody's obedience. And that's what God wants from you, body, is your gifts. You make up the body. We can't do this just with the pastor and his wife and and a couple other people. It takes everybody's gift to make things happen. Every single one of you have been endowed with a gift. Read through 1 Corinthians. The Holy Spirit has given you something really incredible, and he wants you to use it for his glory. James, the brother of Jesus, unequivocally warns us, that faith without doing, faith without works, is dead. He gives us no wiggle room at all for misinterpretation. And for those of us who confess Christ Jesus, I'm not here to tell you that it's a works-based religion at all. It's not. It's about grace. I know the grace. I could fall right down here, right here, and probably break into a bunch of tears realizing my past and what he has given me. But I'm going to tell you the thing that he's brought to my attention is that when we confess Christ Jesus, what is going to be proof of our salvation is the fruit that comes from our life. There should be fruit coming from our life. The Bible says some pretty scary things, and I'm not here to doubt anybody's salvation. I'm looking in a mirror on this one, but the Bible says that many will say, Lord, Lord, and not enter the kingdom of heaven. In fact, it talks about this really scary thing, and it says that there were these ten virgins that were betrothed to the bride or to the groom. They knew that he was coming. They fully had a relationship. They expected it, but five were not ready. And what happened? They weren't allowed in. I don't know how to come to terms with that, but that's just scary stuff. The biggest thing that scares me is that the demons, the Bible says, know that Jesus is Lord and they're not going to be there. And here is my prayer is that you guys would wrestle so much and I hope that you ignore everything else I say and that the Lord, for those of you who confess Christ Jesus, whether you're young or whether you're in your golden years, is Lord, is there really fruit coming from my life? Don't let me be self-deceived. Is other people, can they see it? Am I being obedient? Father, it's not there. Please help me to bear good fruit. Help me to understand this. Take off the blindness, the callousness. God, help me to be before you in the way that this was all meant to be. You paid a great price for me. Help me to get it. Help me to taste it. Help me to understand it. We're going to watch another DVD here because I want to introduce you to uh, Peter as well as Abdoman and a couple other of the chaplains. But we're being used by an entire generation, or we're being used to train up an entire generation of men in a brand new country, kind of like what it was here in 1776. That is just wild to live biblically sold out lives. Here's a cool thing: is these Sudanese are now being used to inspire the world. See, God uses the foolish things of this world. None of these guys came from rich homes. They're not Rockefellers and, and Bushes and Fords and all that stuff. These are guys who come from a less than a third world country where the illiteracy rate is over 80%, 90% for women. They have known war their whole life, and because when the Lord got them on fire, they are now being used to inspire people. Pastor Tom Quirk was a missionary in, uh, in Mexico for 18 years. And he came over there to do an article for Calvary Chapel magazine. And what, when he sat down and started talking to these guys, it so inspired him. He came back with another pastor and put this DVD six minutes. And then I'll come up and close. He put this DVD together on uh, on uh, YouTube. And I asked for a copy, and I'd love for you guys to see it.
2: Yes, <laughs> y'all
0: we don't understand sometimes that when one man stands it inspires others you cannot lead from the rear you must lead from the front you must hold the line you do not compromise you do not fear the enemy see the Lord said that he has not given us a spirit of fear but a power and of strength and of a sound mind. Jesus Christ is
3: is my God, is my King, is my deliverer, which bring me out from from the darkness and bring me into the light.
2: I carry this cross of Jesus Christ, to remember Jesus Christ all the time.
3: And Jesus said that if you want to, to follow me, you have to take your cross and
2: follow me. Anyone doesn't care, take care of my cross and follow me, it is not good to be called my disciple. The chaplaincy program is very important.
3: We have to tell the soldiers about what who is Jesus and we have really to bring a lot of men, thousands of soldiers to the Christ, and they they were believing, they were so happy. I used to tell them that, let us pray. Let us pray. Everyone will take his cap off. You are Christian, you are Muslim, you are not a believer and not a Muslim. And bow your feet down and we pray. That time, the, the people become know God a bit, by a bit, until we baptize. We baptize some of Muslims. We baptize them.
2: And if the uh, soldier have been wounded, he can call for the chaplain first. That chaplain, come! Come and pray with, uh, with him and encourage him. He says, Soldier cannot call for commander first, or cannot call for of first, but he can call chaplain first. Yes. And chaplain can come. Although there is a lot of bullet there, chaplain can come. Yes. To see the situation of that soldier. So the chaplain, uh, program of the chaplain, very good.
0: The commanders and the generals understood something. It was victory or death. There was never any other choice.
3: And God has purpose for me. And he's the one who can direct me to go where he likes. So I'm ready to die for God because I'm his servant. The Bible said when you lose the life because the sake of Jesus Christ, you will find it. When you lost your life for uh, the thing of this world, you lost your life for good. So absolutely, I've already chosen my life to serve as a chaplain. I know I may die anytime. So I'm ready to die. When they start shooting us, we fought, but we are eight, only eight people. But God in our sight. Nobody was being shot. And we killed many of them, but nobody was being shot by them.
2: So even the rest of the soldiers said, Oh, those of the uh, evangelists are not being hit by, by, by bullet. And I tell them, Yes, because this is a tell, tell bullet that uh, bullet, don't touch my servant. And bullet can say, Yes.
3: The people surprised, uh, how can that one happen to you while they get where they lay their ambush and
2: nobody was being shot from us. Also we were <coughs> coming inside the, the landmine, anti-person mine, and anti-tank man and they do nothing. For us, because Jesus tells them that uh, you learn mine, you keep quiet down there until I give you further notes. They say yes. That's why we we captured that place with our losses and in a short time. And that
3: people, they know that you, people who are serving the word of God, God is with you. yeah I can encourage the, the people back in America to keep trusting God and I also hope for them to love God
2: because
3: God has blessed their nation Uh, Let them not forget about God.
2: This
3: is something I can say for the nation of America.
2: Uh, Because
3: by them, God has blessed us.
1: I know you've been sitting here for a long time listening to this guy from California get all passionate and I appreciate that. But if you guys could just hang with me for the last couple minutes and I really will be finishing because what's on my heart is really important. Not because I'm saying it, it's just that I think it's just that critical for those especially who confess Christ Jesus. And for those of you, and I know there's always in every room, you're just not sure about all this stuff. Just, just hang on to this because this is, the, this is the picture that I want to give you of this God that I serve is what he's looking for is what he's looking to do in people's lives. And I pray that the Lord would do that to you and that you would be a light that would just shine in the world of the graciousness of God. I don't care how young or how old you're right now, what God can do. Body of Christ, if you're serving, if you're in the battle, stay in the battle. And if you're tired, don't give up. Because the Lord is fully aware of what's going on and by the goodness that we do, there is going to be a day that he is going to say, well done, don't give up in doing good. And if you're not in the battle and you call Christ Jesus your Lord, hear me on this from the depths of my heart, the most passion that I can bring up here is get in the battle. Prove by the way that you're living that the thing that we have, all this that we have in Christ Jesus is truly worth it all. Wes Bentley uh, saw a commander coming out of the bush one time, and over there they don't have military stores. And so the commander was coming out, and he noticed that the man's boots were just shambles. And so over there, you just go serve. If you're going to be a witness to Christ Jesus, you just go serve. And he walked up to this strong commander, and he said, Sir, what size boots do you wear? And the commander told him, and immediately Wes knew they were his size boots. So Wes got down on the ground in Sudan, took off his boots, and gave them to this strong man. And that to- so took him back. Like, what is this white guy from America giving me his boots? It was such a witness to him. And he says, Take my boots. And he goes, No, sir, you have a soldier that needs him more than I do. And here's the point of that is that you can inspire people by the way that you live for Christ Jesus when you walk in obedience. Get in the battle here. Let me tell you a quick story. It's really quick. Is that I honestly wish that I were sitting out there listening to your pastor and his wife speak this morning because my time with him yesterday is he's the real deal. I wish that I could be in a Bible study. I wish I could be on his Tuesday morning mentoring. And I don't say this about many pastors. There's only a few that I just wish that I could sit there and learn because no matter how imperfect they are, they're the real deal. And he's in Buell. (laughs) And I want you to stick with me because I'm going to talk about those things that we're not supposed to talk about in church, and that's money. Hear my heart. Flow with me on this one because I know I've sat there before and went... Here goes the other foot. Just please track with me. You're going to hear some integrity in my heart here. You know, we all go to work. When I want you to get in battle here at your church, is what I'm trying to say here, is that we all go to work. We know that we have to pay the mortgage, pay the rent. We, a piece of equipment's going to break down. We're going to need a new car. Something's going to happen. You know, by the grace of God, we can send our kids to school. And here's my challenge, is that if this is your body, get involved. It costs money to do this. It costs money to take care of the children. And I'm going to tell you something, and I don't know if it's happening here. Your pastor didn't share it with me. But as I travel, when I'm not in Sudan, my heart is to be out there encouraging the body of Christ. And so every weekend, I'm on the road, and so is West when we're not here. We're not sitting at home. I get two Sundays off a year, and that's usually going to be Christmas and, uh, and Easter. And I tried to teach last, uh, two weekends ago, and the pastor said, no, please take it off. It's because I just want you guys to understand what God has done with my life. He can do it with your life. But hear me on this, I run into so many pastors who are bringing the word of God that are barely even making it. And I know some of you are going through some really hard times, so track with me on this one, okay? First of all, uh, I realize that some of you don't have insurance, I get that. And you guys go to work, you own your own companies, and you do this, and the result, the gift, the reward is your pay. And we know that something can happen and you can get fired and something can burn down. And so if you're not working, you're not getting paid, there's a cause and effect for all that stuff. But the Bible says that the man who's bringing this... The man who is bringing the word of God that has eternal value is worth double his blessing, double his pay, and I'm not asking you to do that. But we should have pastors that we can take care of their families in a way so they can study the word of God, and we should be coming behind him without him and her, without he and his wife knowing, and we're fasting for them and we're praying for them because I'll tell you the other secret about your pastor and his wife is they're just humans. They have been called to teach here, but they're just like everybody else out there. They're still being conformed and made into that perfect image of Christ Jesus, and we've got to get behind him. And unfortunately, I've also sat with many pastors and wives after lunch, and I can tell you I can't count on two hands. I, I, I can't even count how many wives broke down because they feel the pressure that they have to be perfect when they're not. And we need to come together. And also, I'm going to tell you something. It was confirmed for me here yesterday. This is not a beat-up session. It's just a challenge session. I don't care if I'm at a mega church or we're teaching at a mega church or a startup church with 12 people. It is always a small group of people that is serving. And I know every one of you guys are busy, especially in a farming type of community. You don't get days off. I understand that. I do. And my story, can't even relate with it, but usually in city slicker type environments, I can say I've, I've raised three children. We homeschooled. I ran a, a $200 million region of a $5 billion uh, company at one point. I, had my, I know what busy is. I don't understand busy your way is. But I can tell you that God expects you to use your gift as part of this body. It shouldn't just be a small function because some of these people that are doing all the other work, it's not their natural thing. They were gifted here, and you were gifted here, and we need you there. So hear my heart. Get involved. Far-reaching ministries, this is our passion. Inspiring believers, because we're put into a part of the world that most of you will never go, but inspiring believers to live exceptional lives for Christ Jesus. And when we come out every weekend, inevitably the pastor needs to know, you know, how much is it going to cost? And there's nothing wrong with paying for somebody if they're going to come out because there's expenses. You know, there's hotels and there's cars and there's all that stuff. Hear my heart, and this doesn't make me a saint or our organization saintly. We don't charge a penny to come out. Sometimes pastors want to get behind us, and we're very thankful for that. But we pay for our own flights. We pay for our own cars. We do all that so I can look at you with integrity. There's nothing in it for me when I tell you to get involved financially and I tell you to get involved uh, with your gifts and stuff like that. My only challenge is for you, just like me, is to get involved because this is how we glorify God the most. Missions is a biblical mandate. We are called to go into all the world. It's not a suggestion. But here's the neat thing. Don't feel guilty about that. Some of us, a very small percentage of us are called to go. The rest are called to stay, and this is your ministry. This is your field, okay? Don't look at the pastor and say, I wish I could do that because that's not who God made you. Don't look at, oh, I wish I could give everything up like South Af- or like Africa. That's not what God has called most of you. There's probably one or two in here that God's going to radically yank out of here and do something in their lifetime. As I look at the young people, I hope it's some of you. But missions is a biblical mandate. We're called to go and the rest are called to send. If, and I'll close with this, if you are interested in getting involved in far-reaching ministries and what God is doing, I'd be, I'd be humbled. What we do as a ministry to Sudan is we have over 300 chaplains. We're about to send another 60 through. We have all those pastors going through and, and what I was just telling you at the beginning of this. But we took these guys on and we wanted to be excellent. And we actually sponsored them like missionaries. We, give, we uniform them. You, we give them a small salary. Uh, if they go up into the Duba Mountains where they get a camel in the Jesus film, and when they come in each year, when they can, unless they're in deep deployment, we send them through training. We get them iPods, put on 1,500 hours worth of teaching. Love to get your pastors uh, teaching and put them onto the iPod for you know, all these, past, or all these yeah, pastors, chaplains out there. But if you'd like to get involved, you can do that. We sponsor them. The way that we uniform them, we want to be excellent to represent Christ Jesus because it has opened up so many doors for us to share our faith. The way we uniform them is actually better than their own army, and they look like special forces. They're incredible guys. If you are interested, I'll be out there. There's a bunch of chaplains that we are looking to get sponsorship for. These are my brothers. These are guys I've hung out with. I've taught. And if you ask me to pick, I'm just going to do this. So I'll let you do that. You can pick your own if that's what you want to do. Just fill out the information, and then just let me know what number you're going to do. You can do multiple chaplains. And the other way, if you want to get involved, is most needed if you're not, if you want to sponsor the other areas. We just took in 10 tons of corn maize into Abyei. We need to get in a ton more before they start up in the Nuba Mountains. What uh, just a year ago was a $4,000 cost to get those supplies up in the Nuba Mountains now that the war has escalated. These people are now telling us it's $40,000 So we're saying, Lord, we'll be obedient Whatever you want to do If you do want to get involved We ask that you would make a commitment to it We ask that you would just do it automatically If you can cancel whenever you want to That's not the issue But we just ask that you do it automatically Because we run with a very small staff So the vast majority of everything can go out in the field And bring glory to the Lord So if you are interested, I will be out there And I have several of the chaplains My last 30 seconds Plug back in When our final moments come, and they will come, the greatest regret that we are going to have as believers is not heavily investing in eternity. Some of you are only going to get 20 years, 30 years, 50 years. Some of you may get crazy up to 80 years. but That's all we get. And when we confess Christ Jesus, and we now have the eternity to spend with God... And in our dying dying bed, it's not going to be, oh, I wish I would have spent less hours out in the field. It is going to be, wow, eternity with God. I wish I would have spent more time in his book and worshiping him and knowing him and storing up my treasures. It's really what it should be for Christians. We should be driven every day on how do I get to know him better because eternity is a lot longer than 50 to 80 to 90 years. So get off the sideline. If you are off the sideline, stay there. If you're on the sideline, if you've been parked, get off the sideline. Get in the battle. Throw yourself completely in. Store up your treasures in heaven. Load it up. Throw it in u holes, and just send it ahead. Father, I pray that I honored you. My heart leaps out. I, if they thought that I was passionate now, God, I just want to leap out of my chest to let people know how great you are. I taste it and I don't want anything else. And I know you're not done with me, God. But I've tasted your grace and your mercy, and I want everybody in here to taste it the way I have and even greater. Father, again, I pray I honored you. I pray that not one emotion, one word, one inflection would come out that would not be able to stand before you that would cause you great joy. And Father, here's really where I want to pray, is that these are your children. Father, send your Holy Spirit through this room and wrestle with every one of your children in the most precious, violent way that you can do to let them see your graciousness and your goodness and your mercy. Lord, don't let those who are on the sideline that truly do love you, don't let them sleep, Lord, until they wrestle and get this right with you. And Father, the hidden sin that is in here, which I know is in here, God, yank it out. Cause repentance to come on this church. That people could cast these things behind them and that they could go forward and they could run this race. They wouldn't be separated in their relationship with you and with one another. Lord, use this church to blow the mind of America. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you.